everyone uh, hopefully has a handout. Now, sometimes I use them, sometimes I don't. But um, a little review. We're talking about endings, endings in the Gospels. And last week we did Mark. And the Gospel of Mark, we, when we came to the conclusion, was that the ending of the Gospel of Mark is not written in the Bible. It's not inside the pages of the Bible. But the ending is actually outside the Bible in the lives of those who receive it or listen. And um, that's important. Because this week we're going to do Matthew. Uh, but before we do that, oh yeah, and by the way, the Gospels always end in hope. And hope is its own ending. And that's very important because in Mark and Matthew and Luke and John, we'll find out that even though some of the Gospels sound like they have a very nice, clean resolution, they actually have something that's left unfinished. But even though it's unfinished, because of hope, we are able to live our day. I mean, we're able to get out of the bed in the morning, live our day, have relationships, and just keep on going. So, um, now to demonstrate that the ending of the Gospel of Mark is not so strange to not have an ending, I'm going to show this little video clip that I had introduced last week. And some of you might be asking yourself, why do we need to watch it? Because you already told me about it. Well, I think it's helpful. Um, Also, this is probably a a great movie to learn about the R8s. A lot of silence in this movie, a lot of waiting and and letting the movie come to you. Um, But, just to review, this movie is called The Sun, S-O-N, and it's uh, in the French language. We don't have much dialogue in this, though. Cannes Film Festival winner, lead actor, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too obtuse or strange. Um, <laughs> i got to validate myself. So the, uh, so the story goes is that there is a, a man who's a teacher, and he's a uh, uh, carpentry teacher. Teaches woodworking, building carpentry. And there's a boy, this boy, who joins the school that he teaches at. And the man is very intentional to make sure that this boy is in his class and becomes part of his group, his his students. About halfway through the movie, there comes a little bit of clarity because in the beginning of the movie, you think that this man has some kind of strange affection for for this boy. But in the middle of the movie, there's a scene between the man, who you'll see, and his ex-wife. And it's a very confrontational scene. The reason why you find out that it's confrontational is because this man has welcomed this boy into his class when this boy is the very one who's murdered their son. And based on the murder of the son... The marriage has fallen apart. The wife really is a wreck. And she can't believe that her ex-husband would allow this boy into his presence. So now we get to the end of the movie. And the, the boy doesn't know who this man is. 
he served his time in juvenile detention, now is out. He's kind of in a uh, group home. And now we're coming to the point where the man will reveal himself to this, to this boy. Um, and we'll find out what happens. The other thing, though, is, is that the reason why it's called the son is because this boy actually sees this man as his father. She throws a whole other wrinkle into the plot line and the emotional, uh, the emotional story, too. There's not much dialogue. So we're going to spend a little time just waiting and watching, letting the story unfold. We have high-tech uh, speaker system here. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 there you go. Okay. <laughs> um, it's always a problem having your computer. Um, okay, well, the, the ending there, you know, ends somewhat abruptly. We... We think there's resolution between the, the man and the boy, but um, we don't we don't know we don't know what's next. You know, we, we think they're probably going to get in the car. One thing I didn't mention is that this lumber yard is out of town, so they they, they had a very long journey out to the lumber yard, so they're obviously going to have a you know hour and a half car ride back to their home. You know, what, what are they going to talk about? So anyways, I, I, that does a great job of demonstrating kind of the ending of the Gospel of Mark because that ending forces us to ask the question, are they okay? What's next? What, what are you going to, what's going to happen? And, um, but there's still some information that we know, just like the Gospel of Mark. You know, we have this, stone rolled away, we have this man making these statements that, you know, we presume that since Jesus promised to certain things and they've all come true, that this promise also will be true. And the same with this movie, we have a, an hour and whatever, 40 minutes with this man, and he's shown only grace and mercy, but in a very human way. So we're led to believe that this man will still carry on the way he... That the revelation of the real relationship between this boy and this man won't change how he's already related to him because he knows what the relationship is. The boy didn't. Now the struggle is for the boy to relive in... Because what, what were the boy's responses? I served my time. I paid. What was the man's first words to him after he revealed it? All right, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Yep, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Um, we are going to... The Bibles are there. We're uh, we're just going to go ahead and read a little bit of the uh, the gospel, the ending here, Matthew chapter twenty-eight. But I'm going to kind of skim, and 
I'll leave it to you guys to spend a little time later reading it if you want. I won't really focus on the middle part of the chapter because, I don't know, I don't find it interesting. So, just being honest. So, a little bit about the Gospel of Matthew in reference to Mark. Mark is a gospel... Um, even though they sound alike at times, we have to remember, Mark is real rough around the edges. He moves quickly. His, his grammar is not great. We're not sure exactly you know, what grade he would get from his English teacher if he were to be writing it. Probably, maybe a C, maybe, probably not. Um, and in Mark, the leader, uh, Jesus serves as a leader. He's like a lion. And that's hence this symbol, too, is that He's lying, he's rushing around, kicking buck, t- taking names. But Matthew, in, in, in you know, contrast to this, Matthew's very ordered. And Jesus acts like a rabbi. And kind of this order of the rabbi is seen most clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus goes to the mountain, sits down, teaches all, this nice thing, all these nice things. And then he carries on. That's not like Mark at all. Now, the thing too about Matthew is that the ending, he has a very nice beginning, very ordered beginning, the genealogy, then we find out about his birth. And then the ending too seems to be very ordered and and kind of, you know, nice. But even in the resolution, the ending itself is pretty quick and inconclusive. So some of the same ideas happen in Matthew like they did in Mark. The uh, there's many same characters of the Gospel of Mark, but some are different. We do have some questions answered though from the Gospel of Mark. Who rolled away the stone? A big earthquake and an angel. We know that from Matthew. We also know if the women, in Mark, we don't know if the women actually went to go tell the 11 apostles of the resurrection, but now in the Gospel of Matthew, we got satisfaction. We know. We know that happened. However, there's some big difference. First of all, we don't know why the women were actually going to the tomb. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. In the Gospel of Mark, we know they went to the tomb to anoint the body. They had the whole discussion. Who's going to roll away the stone? Matthew, we don't know why they're going. So there's an element of confusion on our part. Oh, by the way, too, we've got to remember, first and foremost, the Gospel of Matthew is a book unto itself, and that the listeners are hearing this, they don't necessarily have all four books of the Bible in their possession, and they don't have a Bible in their possession. So they're hearing this story as by itself. So they can't say, well, we know why they were going, because the Gospel of Mark says they are going to anoint his body. We can't presume that about initial listeners. So we want to put ourselves into the story as the story's told. I'll probably say that a lot more. Okay, anyways, so we don't know why they're going. 
you know, it's kind of strange, you know, because we're we're presuming they're going to go maybe to mourn, maybe. Okay. Second, uh, there's an angel instead of a young man. The Gospel of Mark does not have an angel, but now we have an angel. We also don't have the women actually going inside the tomb in the Gospel of Matthew. They stay outside, they hear the angel, then they do their thing. And then lastly, too, we have this report of the cover-up that the Jewish leaders tell of the, uh, t- tell the Roman soldiers. Now, the thing is, I don't want to dwell upon that because, A, it doesn't make any sense. The whole cover-up doesn't make sense because Roman centurions, if they were to say what the Jewish leaders told them to say, they would probably be, be charged with treason and die. So, you know, this is kind of a silly thing. All right. But what this does tell us, this ending, is that Matthew is writing for a very specific recounting of Jesus' resurrection. And that goes with the entire story. So when we enter into Matthew 28, we already have heard the story. And that story is really focused upon Jesus as a teacher, as a rabbi. Okay. And in the resurrection itself, Jesus continues as a rabbi. Sermon on the Mount, right, he teaches. Then in the, in the resurrection account, in the last part of Matthew, the most famous part, Jesus then continues to teach the, 12, or the 11 apostles, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So he continues to act as a rabbi, and then the 11 disciples as characters to continue as followers. So the death and resurrection of Jesus hasn't necessarily changed that relationship fundamentally, but has changed it in terms of uh, the level of it. Now, a word about rabbis, too. Rabbis, when we hear teacher, we think, I'm sitting in a classroom, and the teacher's sitting up there with a blackboard. Well, rabbis aren't like that. In fact, there's three levels, kind of rabbinic school back in the old days. The first one was, uh, you know, every kid kind of participated, and you learned the Torah, you memorize it. At the end of that level, the rabbi would say, you know what, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're really great, but you know what, go ahead and learn the family trade. Then there would be a second level, and, that's, and they would learn the prophets and the Psalms, they would memorize all that. And after that level, the same thing would happen. The rabbi would say, yeah, yeah I don't think you're going to cut it. Because the rabbi is gathering disciples who are going to be like him. He's not teaching information. He doesn't want students to know things. He wants students to be him, to live his life. That's with any rabbi in the old, you know, kind of at Jesus' time. That third level would be kind of the graduation from the second level, obviously. And, and that's when the rabbi would say, follow me. And then they would follow So the goal of a follower of a rabbi is to not learn information, quote-unquote, not to be smart, but is to live a life, a rabbinic life, a life that's worthy of the rabbi. And that's very important for us now as we enter into the ending of Matthew chapter 28. These 11 disciples have been with the rabbi for three years conceivably. And now, 
kind of ending is that going to, what's going to happen? All right, now, a word about the women, too, and this is very important, too. The women really are important for us because, just like in the Gospel of Mark, that was kind of strange. Women being witnesses in the ancient days, they weren't legal witnesses. And so for them to act as witnesses of the resurrection is countercultural. Second of all, too, though, is that what Matthew really does, though, is kick it up a notch in terms of not only are they you know, first to the tomb, but they're actually the first to see Jesus. All right, so let's read this real quick. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. It's a bit of irony. But the angel said to the women, just like the man in the movie said, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. Now, even though the angel instructed them to go into the tomb to see where he lay, what does verse 8 start out? So they departed. They actually didn't need to go in and see. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and, and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then he said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go Galilee, and there they will see me. So the women serve as very important witnesses to to Jesus, but in that witnessing, we already know that Jesus is about to do something different or new. So even though this is the ending of the Gospel of Matthew, there are... Uh, tremors of something new that's about to happen. And we see that in the women. The uh, um, disciples are pretty typical when they meet him in the, you know, kind of the Great Commission. We'll start at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the disciples are typical for the Gospel of Matthew. They worship him, but yet at the same time there's doubt. And that's important for us too as people that as we experience the story, these characters are genuine. They're not flat. They're not stock characters, as we see in many movies or any kind of fairy tales, right? The one who wears black is always the bad person. The one who wears white is always the good person, and that's how we really need to know about them. But the disciples are interesting. All right, location. One of the things in the movie, did you? Just, I don't know if you guys happen to notice, it was all coming at you pretty quick. 
the boy and the man, they run into the woods this way, you know, presumably from the, from the garage, right? He tackles them. And then which way does he head? Does he go back into the camera? No, he goes the, the wrong way. Unless he's going a new way. So location is always important, even in movies. Um, and that, that's really important in that movie, is that the man gets up, and rather than going back to where he was, he's going back a different way, a new way. And so now that goes along with what we were thinking, is that now we don't know which way the boy went, though. Did he go back the old way, or did he go back the new way? Well, it's um, kind of what we should talk about. Anyways, but... Um, in the Gospel of Matthew, now location is important because Jesus says, or says, go back, go back to Galilee. But where do they actually meet him? Not necessarily in Galilee, but on a mountain. Verse sixteen. We presume it's, it's, um, you know, a mountain. Or I'm sorry, went to Galilee to a mountain. But we don't. We're the Gospel of Mark. We have a general location of Galilee, which is somewhat symbolic of the beginning. Now we have a, a more specific spot in a mountain, but we don't know exactly where. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think there's actually mountains in Galilee. There's large hills, but that's beside the point. Yeah. There's a big, there's a big hill, but there's a, yeah, there might be a rim mountain. Everybody knows Wausau, Wisconsin, my hometown. We call it a mountain, even though it's not a mountain. Yeah, Penny. That's true. Well, um, last week in the Gospel of Mark, it served a very specific purpose. Um, and I think it's it's historical. I think that's that's part of the story is that they're... You know, they, gotta, they can't make up stuff. And so, but here in Matthew, uh, well, so Galilee is the beginning of the ministry. So Jesus is bringing them back to the place of Galilee for a couple reasons. Uh, like the Gospel of Mark. So they're going to begin anew where Jesus is, and they're going to start this journey over, but now with a new, a new understanding of what the journey means. It's a fulfillment of prophecy, too. Isaiah talked about Jesus in, in being uh, the Galilee of the nations, and that's a uh, end times, like a new era prophecy. So now we have this being fulfilled in this section. We hear that in Advents, but I, I can't remember off the top of my head where in Isaiah it is. But, um, so those are like kind of the two basic reasons. Right. And also Jesus is, you know, home. I mean, so it's kind of the epicenter. But we'll get that into Luco. Things like that happen. But it's in play. But the mountain is probably the most important thing in the Gospel of Matthew because what happens on mountains in, the Ma- in Matthew? I already talked about one, Sermon on the Mount. Transfiguration. And then if we think even more broadly in the Old Testament... Well, the Temple Mount, but that's actually related to more of a fundamental place on the mount. Well, there's actually two fundamental mountains. Mountains are important in the Old Testament, and they're all in play in the Matthew, because Matthew, now they're all coming to like this point. All these mountains in the past now are coming to this point. Matthew 28. 
Mount Sinai. Jesus is very similar to Moses. Well, I'm sorry, to God speaking to Moses on this mountain. He's passing on this new existence to Israel. And from Mount Sinai, they enter in, well, they were supposed to enter into the promised land, but they had to take a 40-year detour. Also, fundamental to the promise of the Old Testament happened on a mountain. Mount Moriah, where Abraham sacrificed to Isaac. So mountains are important. That's exactly right. Yep. So, and that's in Matthew, which is different than the temptations in Luke. So Matthew, you know, the devil brings him up to Mount and says, "Hey, look at all these world. Look at the whole world. All you have to do is what? Worship me." You know, and Jesus rebuffs him. But now he's at the point where he's on the mountain again, and now he is the one who is worshipped. So. So there's just like a load of information in the back of our mind when we're hearing the story that is giving meaning to this little phrase here. So Abraham and Isaac on a mountain. Sacrifice, fidelity, faithfulness. Boom here. We'll talk about that in a second. Mount Sinai. Jesus handing over his law. And what we, as Lutherans, kind of misconstrue the word law, in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments are the life, that's, that's the life of God. So, Jesus is handing over this life, which should re- remind us about what a rabbi does. He passes on a life. Then, also, Mount Sinai, the new Sermon on the Mount, the new life is happening here. Transfiguration, we get a glimpse of who Jesus is as God, divine. But now it comes to a point also where Jesus is is God. He's acting like God because he is. All authority has been given. So, um, so locate. Geography is very important in the Bible. Have you always wondered why there's a map in the back of your Bible? Or is it just me? When I was a kid, I was like, why is this here? I don't know what any of this stuff is. I can't pronounce half the words. Still can't, but... Yeah, so you know where it is, but it's, it's more to that. Is there is actually... Okay. Um, but now we have these very interesting things that happen. Fear and doubt are now part of the resurrection. Once again, we have this thinking that, hey, you know, if Jesus were to show up on a Sunday morning to church, alive and well, in the body, holy smokes, the world will come and follow him. But that's a big fat lie. And the Bible tells us that. So our impressions of what the Bible says is actually contrary to what it actually says. Fear and doubt are part of the resurrection. First of all, fear... Why would we be afraid? Why, why would the women be afraid? Why would Jesus have to tell them, do not be afraid? Okay, good. Let's go back to that movie clip. Was there a certain amount of fear in this young man? 
Yeah, he was very scared. Why? Because he was afraid to be judged. And that was his whole point. I've already been judged. You can't judge me. Why else would they be afraid? Yeah, right. It's like an alien coming. What in the world's going on here? Yeah, it's, it go, I think I mentioned this maybe last week. When something over the horizon of our experience you know, comes, we're, we can't take it in. It requires us to expand our horizon and our brains in order to receive that as true. And oftentimes we're scared of that. That's, that's scary. Especially when we come with a new existence. When, you know, I think this is what happens with any marriage. You know, we're afraid on our wedding day, even though we're, we have great joy, similar to the women, right? We're afraid and we're joyful at the same time. But we are really afraid. Um, we're also afraid when, we're, when we receive some bad news that's going to fundamentally change how we live. Because now we have this new life that we need to figure out how to live within. Um, and so all those are in play with the women and with the resurrection. We think of Easter and we think, hey, happy, joy, wonderful. But the reality of Easter should scare us a little bit. Because it, it means something for us that radically changes how we live. It's, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Um, plus, fears already happened in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Joseph, chapter 1, the angel says to Joseph, do not be afraid. It's, although I think it's translated differently in the ESV and the NIV. But the Greek words are the same. No phobia. No, no fear. Do not be afraid. And what, what happens to Joseph? I mean, he finds out, you know, he just finds out that, oh, man, my wife's pregnant. Oh, jeez. And the, the angel says, do not be afraid. I know this is going to radically alter your life and your understanding of how life is, but don't be afraid. Then also, in Matthew 14, when there's a big storm, Jesus walks out on the water and he says, do not be afraid. They, it, that, that is a life-altering experience for them now because now they see Jesus differently than they did before. Now, from our perspective, those are all positive things. Those are all good things. But the disciples and Joseph and the women... In a sense, they were afraid for us, so we didn't have to be. But they also help us when we become afraid. What, like, what do we do? What, what, where do we go? And that's the presence of Jesus. So when Jesus shows up, his first word is, do not be afraid. Have no fear. And then he, he lives or embodies the reassurance. He is the reassurance, his presence. That's very important. So next is uh, worship and doubt. And I think this is probably the most interesting. Because h- how do we see doubt in the Christian life? Negatively, Negatively right? I mean, you're supposed to have 
especially pastor kids. They can't have doubt. Especially pastors. Pastors can't have doubt. If they have doubt, then what's that going to do to the congregation? All right. Well, this is very important because, uh, like the Gospel of Mark, Mark does a really, I think, a, like he goes at it real hard, like he's like the lion, and really smashes any kind of crutch that we might have. Where Matthew just simply says, hey, they have doubt. And he just makes it evident. When it comes to the resurrection, doubt and worship go hand in hand. They don't, they, don't, they don't stop from one happening. So if you worship God faithfully, that doesn't mean you're not going to have doubt. And then also, if you have doubt, that doesn't mean you can't worship God faithfully. And faith is an important word, I think, because, uh, yeah, it's just a little easier for me to talk about. So including doubt in the resurrection, Matthew suggests that, again, a risen Lord showing up isn't going to be incontrovertible evidence of belief. And so within the life of faith, now I forgot to mention this too, the life of faith that's exhibited here in Matthew 28 is the journey from Jerusalem to Galilee. That's the life of faith. Why is that the life of faith? First of all, it requires a step apart from seeing. And that's, that's actually really, really important, and that's not talked about much. But the life of faith in the resurrection is this trip from Jerusalem to Galilee. And there are going to be times of doubt in that journey. Why? Because that's normal. I, think about that trip from Jerusalem to Galilee. I have to imagine that the disciples asked the simple question, do you think he's really going to be there? I mean, that's a long trip. I mean, that's not like a, hey, I'm going to walk to downtown Glen Ellen. I know, oh, that's a couple miles. It's a long trip. But no, this is a more than one day trip. Three days. You know what? I didn't even, see, there you go. There's even more to the story if it was three days, wouldn't it? How interesting. Okay. All right, so you get the point, though, is that the life of faith is exhibited from the trip to Jerusalem to Galilee, and there's going to be times of doubt because that would be normal. You're abnormal if you don't have any doubt. And also, you're not like the apostles, which I kind of I want to be like them. But anyways, but it's also within the resurrection when Jesus shows up and says, do not be afraid. So faith has more to do now with a particular way of living than adhering to a set of doctrines. And that's important. So the, the disciples exhibit faith by what? By walking. By walking to Galilee. All right? It's not like you, they could show faith by saying, hey, I believe all this stuff, and then just stay in Jerusalem. They actually had to walk. They had to do something. And that's similar to when Jesus says, follow me. He says, follow me. And what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to drop your fishing nets and walk. You can't just stay in the boat and say, oh, I believe Jesus. That doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work in the resurrection. See, the 11 believed without any evidence. So they, they exhibited faith. They made the trip without actually seeing Jesus first. That's similar to what the women did. 
The angel said, go quickly to Jerusalem. And what did they do? They went quickly. And Jesus heads them off, which is very interesting. So Jesus shows up when they have faith, which we often try to put things backwards. We want to see Jesus before we have faith. But in the resurrection, that's, that's not what happens. It's actually Jesus shows up when you believe. That's, that, I think that's probably our biggest struggle in the resurrection. So the eleven believe without any evidence, and even in the midst of worship, they're allowed to doubt. When encountering someone from beyond our experience, there is doubt, because what is this thing? I mean, if an alien were to show up, we'd kind of doubt that it's actually an alien. I would. I would have to, uh, I just wouldn't believe it. So in a sense, Jesus kind of is is an alien in this respect. (laughs) We normally need to build up trust in order to live in relationship to this person. So there has to be this trust that, it, that is built up. And that, that's something, too, that happened in the film. The man says, do not be afraid. And the boy doesn't, what? Doesn't trust him. Because he killed his son. And the disciples, similar to Joseph's brothers, have an element of, of distrust, which is normal. You killed you kill, you kill Jesus, and now he's like, saying, hey, come to Galilee, everything's going to be okay. You abandoned Jesus. When you said you were not going to leave him, no matter what, even if it means dying, and yet you ran away. Do you really trust that he loves you, he likes you, he wants you to be in relationship to him? Well, any normal person wouldn't. That's why I kind of like the video. It's like, that's real. Like, no kidding. Although, you know, what took like 10 minutes, which seemed like an eternity, didn't it? You were like, when is this going to end? <laughs> that's why I think it's good for R8. It takes time to watch, slow down. Um, what took only eight minutes in the movie for some kind of slow resolution... <laughs> It takes weeks and years and, and, you know, it takes a long time in normal people's lives. But that's in play now, too, also in the resurrection. Jan. Right. Right. Actually, that... Right. In fact, uh... Well, we're kind of led to believe there's nobody around. Then Jesus shows up. Yep. Right. Yep. Jan's right. I, this that actually comes out really uh, clearly in Luke's, because the Emmaus story is, uh, is is especially important to that that aspect. There was a thinking that um, uh, the new well let's we'll wait for Luke to about that but yes that all that's in play too even in Mark and in in, in, in Matthew
And so now, well, let's, uh, let's, uh, well, yeah, no, hang on. Um, well, Jan's right, so that's good. Everyone listened? Everyone hear that? Okay. <laughs> I think, well, so now what's next? It, it, the, the important thing about doubt, though, is, is that we, we have a tendency to misunderstand what doubt is. And the church should be the place where doubt happens. It's very important. We don't come to church to have our faith affirmed. Okay? That's, that's so important for us. Faith, because then we just become a group of people that are like-minded and think about the same things, when in fact Jesus, by his resurrected presence, is the one that challenges us to think differently. So doubt, so uh, church should be the place where doubt happens. And that's, that's important for us, and that should be the way we live in, in, to the world. Now, related to Jan, though, is that, now, what's next? What's going to happen? And that's related to obedience, just doing what Jesus says, saying what he says, and going where he goes. And that's the life of the, of the student of the rabbi. Obedience is, is important to seeing Jesus, as in the women doing exactly what the angel said, and Jesus showing up, to the eleven making this trip, and Jesus showing up. The reason why that is, is not, not to like fulfill some law or, or rule, but it's to embody the presence of Christ in the world. See, the last sentence of Matthew, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, I am with you is not an elusive presence. It's, a, it's presence in the, in the church. It's in the place where baptizing and teaching happens. But again, teaching is not in the classroom. It's, not, it's living. So baptizing and living is maybe a, a, a help, more helpful way for us to understand what Jesus is talking about. So you have, if you have a place, that's a community that says, come into, our, come into this place, and live like this, God will be there. Because he has to be, because whose life is it? It's Jesus's. So what he's teaching, or teaching everybody, you know, teaching everyone what I've to observe all that I commanded, that that's a Old Testament way of saying teaching people my life. But as we know, is that the only way he, he can live that we can live his life is by his own spirit, his own power, his own authority. So what's, what's very interesting then for, for the 11 disciples is to believe that Jesus will be amongst them as they move out into the world. And by moving out into the world, then whose presence takes over the world? God's presence. And that only is going to happen, though, when you have a group of people who say, yes, okay, I'm going to make that journey to Galilee. Because it's in that journey that we say to others, we're going to go see Jesus. Well, where is he? Well, he's here. I don't see him. Come with us, and we will see him. Um. It's not that we get to see him first and then we get to go. It's we see him as we're going. 
And so at the end, what does this all mean then for us is that the promise of God's presence at the end of Matthew is not only for the people, again, inside the pages, but for those outside the page. So we, similar to the 11 disciples, have to make this trip from Jerusalem to Galilee. And as we make that trip to Galilee, we do it together, just like in the Gospel of Mark. And in that trip, we're worshiping, we're baptizing, we're passing on the life of Christ. And in doing that, we exhibit God's presence in the world. The thing is, though, is when we make the trip to Galilee, it's, it's the Old Testament Galilee. It's the Galilee of the nations, all nations. So we're not going to one point, but we're going to all places. And thus, we are leading people into God's presence. Shirley. Well, again, hope. Hope is its own thing. Right, again, but yeah, the question, the thing we wrestle with, so that's good. Doubt will not not disregard hope. Hope and doubt uh, can actually go along with each other. That's right. So, yeah, so that's, that's important. Yeah, no, I understand, but what I want to say is that hope is much more robust, maybe, than what we, what we think. Um, Holly. That was on my news. The people in the pages room to doubt. Right. And that wouldn't allow us to doubt without feeling like we're not going to read it. Right. That's important. So doubt is part of the trip, but that doesn't, that doesn't, like, we still have hope, though. Hope can still exist even with doubt. I know that sounds strange, but it is true. Jan? Is the I am translated here the same as I am? Yeah, that's definitely an echo of Exodus 3, yep. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yep, that, that all is, yep. Well, yeah, right, it, to give us hope. That's right. Hope is very important. Maybe we should, maybe we should do a study on hope. Uh, I should have thought of that. Yeah. Mary Lee. What did I just call you? At least I didn't call you Karen. I'm calling, people, I'm calling a lot of people with the wrong name this morning, so... Yes. And he died. Yeah, right. What happened to those followers normally? Ooh, good. Um, well, I, I don't know. I, but let's talk about when they're done, what happens. Uh, students of a rabbi. When they graduate. When they, yeah, quote-unquote graduate. They, I thought they were with him for life. No, they, they actually, they can start their own oh, okay. rabbinic, their own, their own shtick. Okay. Yeah. And, and so that's the thing, though, is that when they achieve the status of the rabbi themselves, because that's why they're, they're becoming rabbis, is that now there's this break. And that's what's different about Jesus, is that when he sends them off on their graduation, he actually he promises to still be with them. But not necessarily, but also as a teacher, but as a, an encourager, like one who... So that, that's a bit of a difference. Important difference. All right, any other questions? Cindy. Okay, did, 
All right, this is very good. Uh, this is a very good question. Some people have said yes. I would say yes. Because, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Although the word doubt is not used, this is where we kind of get, we don't know. It's definitely a big, I mean, that's a, that's a, that, that sounds like a doubtful question. I think the Garden of Gethsemane, too. Yeah. Now, the important thing about them, and we'll get this into the R8, is the silence in those two circumstances. Is that Jesus, if he's doubting, he's doubting because of the fact that God's not saying anything. And so, well, sometimes we have to learn how to listen to God in his silence, which is... Well, we'll talk about that tomorrow morning if you're at the retreat. But that helps, that helps us with our doubt. Because sometimes doubt stems from false expectations. And so, Jesus... But let me, let me say this too, Cindy, is that if we don't experience doubt, then we don't go through the trauma of the cross, the crucifixion. And that's important. So that's why I would say that Jesus experiences doubt on the cross. But not doubt, not doubt in the way that destroys faith, though. That's the important thing, is that doubt is part of the purifying reality of faith. Hopefully that makes sense right there. I just said that. But you go through doubt not as a time to weaken your faith, but to make it to actually stronger or more real. So, yeah, uh, good question, Cindy. Glad you asked that. I should have. I should have wrote that down. Yeah. No. Now this is where we get a little difference between belief and like doubt and unbelief. You can't doubt something if you don't have faith. It's important. Doubt does not mean the absence of faith. But then we get into some. Uh, Semantics, like in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, the man experienced doubt, but he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And then the Gospel of Matthew says, if you don't have any belief, then you're going to hell, and that's the unforgivable sin. So, what's going on here? So, sometimes the Gospels speak in very kind of specific languages, and we have to take them into, con- into context. So, that was a tangent. But. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.